Hey, banditos, it's Wednesday, so that must mean you're probably like us, and you're trying to get over the hump of the week. Well, have no fear, the Dollar and Bandits are here, and we're going to make that hump day a little less painful. I am Joe Marcello. I'm Warren Phillips. I'm Mike Farah. And today, we have a great show in store for you. We're bringing you our interview with a real honest-to-goodness movie star. We're talking about none other than director, producer, and collector... Daniel Roebuck. Now, chances are you've seen his work and lost Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., any of the Rob Zombie movies lately. Uh, currently, he is the Count on the Monsters uh, series on Netflix. Um, but look, let's be honest. If you've ever watched TV, movies, or anything, m- chances are you've probably seen him. Yeah, I remember him from uh, U.S. Marshals, uh, The Fugitive. And uh, just following him on Facebook, you see how much he loves uh, the old horror movies and the uh, collections that goes with it. So getting a chance to talk to him, I, I wish I could have been there. I had some house problems, but I'm so glad Joe came in and hit a grand slam. And this is really a fun one. Yep. Just Joe episode. Very exciting. We love it when they come together like this. So I know uh, Daniel Roebuck mostly from the aforementioned Lost, where he played uh, Dr. Leslie Arts, or as it should be pronounced, Arzd. <laughs> But um, yeah, he was a great sort of secondary character, uh, blew up handling dynamite. You can't get better than that for an on-screen death and uh, would love to hear more about what he has to say about his Hollywood career. So let's get to it. It's Daniel Robot. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. I'm going to start off with the same question we ask everyone. Uh, and when did you first discover comics? Oh, comics. Gosh, Um well, I couldn't tell you. Before comics, I discovered comic characters, uh, and we were just uh, I, before we we were going. I was showing this beautiful Captain Action uh, thing. There, I actually am at the airport. You might hear the plane landing. I don't know why that is. Um, so when I was a kid, I would go to the store, and I would see this. And I knew who Batman was, obviously, because he was on TV. And I knew who Superman was because he was on TV. Although, odd that Superman's not on this, but he was certainly a character. Yeah, he is up in the corner. So it was through this toy. And this toy was a thing called Captain Action. And what you're actually looking at is the costume that you would buy to put on an action figure, not a doll mother, on an action figure named Captain Action. And uh, I'm 59. And so Captain Action, unlike G.I. Joe, only lived for two years. So you had to be six or five between 68 and 69. And then you got to play with this. If you were 10, you were past this. So um, that's how I first got into comics, because I was playing with Captain Action. And the genius thing was Captain Action came with a little mini comic that uh, said, here's the other uh, costumes you could buy. And we would right. stare at it. So um, what do I remember buying? You know, the first comics I remember buying, buying, buying weren't superheroes because I would borrow them from someone else. The first comics I would buy were plop. Remember the Sergio oh. Aragones and Jack Davis drawings? It was a yeah. DC... Uh, was a DC title. Plop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we had. Uh, so one, that's what I remember. So we had one of one of our guests in the in the um, early on. He used to drive around the DC van and would sell issues of that out of the DC. Uh, it, it was more or less like a just a, I would say food truck style, and he would drive around neighborhoods uh, in New York on the east side. And uh, the boroughs, and just this sell is blowing comics. my mind that this existed for real. It did. It did. Didn't last very long. And why I, not? I'm. I, I want to well, do that now. I. Uh, I'm terrible with it, with names, so I, his name escapes me at the moment. But uh, he was in charge of of that when early on in his DC career, and I remember him distinctly saying that you know that was one of the the comics top. that was selling. I liked so you know. I was such a TV fanatic that my no my grandmother's house, 
for whatever reason, there were Munsters comics and Car 54 comics, you know, when they would do comic versions of the TV shows. So I was I was enamored by those. I love those. Because in the comics, you finally saw what Spot kind of looked like, and you didn't see it in the show. Um, and then I remember buying a lot of Boris Karloff Presents and Ripley's Believe It or Not. Mm-hmm. So these really weird off-titles. Um, uh, those are great. I don't know how to explain it, but that was kind of my – it was more like uh, – what reading nonfiction? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like a comic book. Did you ever uh, kind of dive into or look into some like the Vault of Horror or you know Tales from the Crypt oh, yes. type oh, stuff? Yeah, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror. Uh, kind of oddly, I'm sorry, my my image keeps getting darker and lighter. I oh, don't know fine. why that is. No uh, there was um, uh, comic style magazines, creepy, eerie. Vampirilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I was kind of drawn quickly to that. Um, but I was also thinking uh of uh of you know when I got older, I had this the blessing to have the greatest best friend ever. I met him when I was 15 years old, I think, Scotty Brunel. And I was the monster guy and he was the comic guy. So Scotty was always my comic uh guru. And it worked out great for me because once the story was done, he would let me borrow it. And I didn't have to wait every month. Like you schnooks, I got to read it all at one time. <laughs> Long before they put them in graphic novels. Scott made my own graphic novels. But I remember back in the uh, the 80s, the great Alan Moore, mm-hmm. um, everything Alan Moore did. Um, Miracle Man, was that Alan yeah. Moore? Miracle Man? Yes, uh, and of course, uh, of course, Watchmen, yes. and, and that the Ronnie did on Swamp Thing. Oh, I love that! Absolutely love that. It's good. It's good. I still I pull those out all the time. I have all of those, and I read those often. So yeah, they're part of. I I mean, I love the Swamp Thing. That was one of the earliest comics that I read before I was really into comics. And uh, I just thought, because at the time, Swamp Thing had come back around um, being more, you know, it was, it was a series. And then it, it was also a series of or a couple of movies. So I remember being right, into it. It was movies and a TV show. And a TV uh, show, the, which was late 80s, which was quite 90s. interesting. And uh, read the comic. And I was like, the comic is way better. <laughs> yeah, uh, the TV show was a low budget. It was like Superboy. It was just a low budget. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I know uh, how I always consider horror and and comics kind of adjacent to one another because they're so so. close, closely aligned. I think they're so, you know, it's very much escapism from, you know, everything that we have to deal with. And it's so much fun. Um, Escapism from everything we have to deal with when we're seven. Yeah. Well, everything else, you know. Certainly now. Miserable. <laughs> Life is hard. I got to yeah. learn math. No, now, believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Now we should all, we should, I, in fact, that might be the placebo of life. We should distribute a comic I, to everybody. I agree. It should be mandatory. Uh, to, um, so uh, how important yeah, were. But it shouldn't, we can't let the government decide. No, I, I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. How, how important were monsters to you growing up? Gosh, like, it was it was everything. It was everything. I like I once I discovered the Universal Monsters, and it was interesting, Joe. Like I, I talk from an actor's perspective. When like you love comic books, but when do you realize that somebody writes them? You know, when do you realize that? It's written and then painted and then or drawn and then painted. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we don't know this stuff. So I would watch movies. Did you know when you're a little kid what an actor is? I don't know that they didn't just say the words. No, there's a script. So I remember kind of I always say it was that the Farloff, Lugosi, Cheney Jr. especially, um, where I would see them play different characters. So here's Karloff is uh, the monster. 
And in this one, well, he's kind of like Dr. Frankenstein. He's Dr. Neiman. And in this one, he's has an invisible ray. And here's the ghost. He is Dracula. Wait, now he's now he's Igor. Like I started realizing the actors were playing parts. And that was the epiphany of my life that that's actors who do that, you know? Um and uh so from that moment on, I I was hooked. And and admittedly, um, we all escaped where we escaped. Your listeners and watchers, you you guys went into comics. I I really did go deep dive into TV and movies, and not just Universal Monster movies. Like from an early age, mm-hmm. I would if something interested me, I would watch it. Yeah, geez, I even remember. Now this isn't an early age. It was nineteen seventy four. 75 when cuckoo's nest came out and it had already run and it was playing at uh northampton college and i wanted to go see it and my dad was like what why i don't understand why you want to see this so what this has nothing to do with you and i was like i i want to see it i don't know what to tell you because i i just knew i had to i had to see it is that crazy yeah no and and so yeah. So anyway, um, they are, I think, uh, because this it's storytelling, isn't it? And it's and it's it's uh, magic and make believe and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, Superman can fly and so can Dracula. You right. Because he's about. Was your love for horror, uh, is that kind of what draw you to working with Rob Zombie? Well, what drew me to working with Rob Zombie is he's nice enough to offer me parts. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I'd work with everybody. I wonder if I would work with Woody Allen. That's that's the big question. You know, where you like if noted child molester Woody Allen, <laughs> you know, and you'd be like, he's a really good director. He's a really good director. Um, I don't think he's going to ask me to work with him, but. Um, uh, I made that stupid joke and I lost my train of thought. What did you ask me, Joe? Uh, I was asking if your your love of horror, uh, certainly classic horror, got you. Oh, do me to Rob Zombie. Yeah. So no, well, we met each other. Uh, he was buying toys, models in a like a model, like a kid craft model place, like okay. where they put models together of monsters or superheroes or whatever. That's where I met him. Then I met him again at a screening of Elvira's Hidden Hills. Uh, and so he knew me and he knew of my love for monsters. And by the way, I had by that point, I had already written many articles for for these monster magazines about movies and monsters and makeup and amusement parks. I, I was always writing articles or something. You know, there's some actors who just act and then they wait for the phone to ring. Uh, I don't know a lot of actors like me, but um, if the phone's not ringing, I'm calling someone else and finding a way to give them a job. That's really Uh, interesting. You know. I mean, I know like a lot of actors, like uh, I'm just going to be an actor and this is what I'm going to do. But I always find it interesting for those people that do other stuff. I mean, because there's, you have more than one interest in life you know you're what oh, gosh, to say yes. that you can't do can't do all of it and by the way you know okay so let's say my interest in universal monsters and captain action is really silly you know why would i need to collect this my entire life why do i have this why do i actually have three of these i have these because I love them and I love figural toys and I love the monsters. But do I love them because one day God was going to make sure that I'd be ready to be this degree, right? So I spent a lifetime collecting mm-hmm. and now I've become a toy, right? So I look at it like um, I'm never embarrassed by what I am and I've never been. And I think the reward for that is uh, being able to work uh, in in this miraculous world. I'm just going to show you something. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, a child, uh, I was uh, – that card says the Count. I don't know yeah. if it 
and yeah. it turns it around. So I was I was a clown magician. Uh and I was in a circus and I had to come up with a character. And so I came up with this vampire clown and I named him the count. I see it. Yeah. Such an idiot. All right. And then uh and then you know, 40 years later. And there you are like, doing it. That's my life. And I mean, look at it. That's Thank awesome. God I wasn't embarrassed by who I was. Because all along, uh, it, the intent was that this is who I was supposed to be. That's awesome. And so, you know. Uh, so I met Rob, and then we hit it off. And then he, you know, I'm a, I think I'm an okay actor. And then he puts me in movies. Some some really major movies. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Halloween. And then, yeah, when I'm not working for him, I am working for a lot of people. Look, I've been very, God is good to me. I've been very lucky. And I've worked in every genre. And at this point, I can't even keep track of all of the, um, what do you call those? All those IPs or storylines. I mean, I'm in the Marvel universe, the Star Wars universe, the Star Trek universe, the yep. universe. I'm now a universal monster. I'm the exact thing that I loved the most as a child. Uh, I'm I'm a transformer. Uh, I'm in Phantasm. I'm in Halloween. Uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I've loved since I was a little boy that God gave back to me as an adult. I used to be an impressionist. How weird is this, Joe? I used to be an impressionist and my mom, you know, I had the best mom. So she, your, your dad thinks you're mentally handicapped, but your mom, you'll never have a better agent than your mom. So yes. I'm walking around, you dirty rat, you know, <laughs> I'm doing Cagney and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing, but uh, you know, like, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing all the classic uh, characters and my mom takes me to see Rich Little. When I'm oh. 12 years old, right? About the same time that I, I was dressing up as a clown. And then I went to go meet him afterwards and I had my program and he signed my program. And then it wasn't, let's see, 30, 12. It wasn't 20 years later. It was only 18 years later. I go to the set of The Late Shift and I'm playing Jay Leno and Rich Little's playing Johnny Carson, and I'm doing an impression. And I told him when I was a kid, I want to be an impressionist. He thought, you know, just like my dad, kids mentally handicapped. But there we were. And I pulled out my book, and I was like, Rich, you signed this when I was He couldn't even – he couldn't – he was like this. He goes, I, I just, just blows my mind. So he signed the book again, and he wrote on it. Dan, I always knew we'd end up working together. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the late shift because that is the first role that I remember seeing you in. And Ooh. I mean, it's very possible I saw you, I saw you in others because I watched a lot of television growing up. Yeah. But that stuck out in my head because I remember as a child, that was a big deal. That whole yeah, yeah. David Letterman, Jay Leno saga was was a big deal. And when they made that that movie, I watched it. And I remember, I remember you as Jay Leno, and I'm glad you mentioned trying to do impressions or doing impressions because I would try to do impressions of Jay Leno after watching that as a child. And it's funny, so you were doing me doing him. I was yeah. I was just doing you know what I heard as Jay Leno, like yeah 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 you know that all that type of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> I just you know my parents would laugh at me but you know our that show always stuck with me because i always found it super interesting and i was always wondering like such a great story it it really was the audience yes um it was such a great story of i you know i got in a lot of trouble the late ivan reitman did not like uh I said, oh, they're like, you know, these people are, they're like mobsters. Uh, And uh, that was quoted in an LA Times interview. And, you know, they used that to uh, 
get him a little steam. They said, well, Dan Roebuck says it's about mobsters. And he was like, it's not about mobsters. You know, like, <laughs> then he was all mad at me. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, everybody's making threats, 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 threats. Um, and so it was crazy. Here's the great thing. I played the great guy. Imagine the other actor who's a great actor, John Michael Higgins. He had to play freaking David Letterman. What a goofball David Letterman is. A, you know, a lying, cheating, stealing, uh, you know, like uh, uh, intern molesting hypocrite. I played the nice guy. Did, uh, and did you know that? No, I'm going. Do I'm you sorry. remember that they put they put John Michael Higgins on David Letterman's show, and then they didn't really put him on. He oh, humiliated really? him on public television. Yeah, he kept asking uh, Julia Roberts about like, so what's your recipe for a good meatloaf? Like making a point of showing the audience that he was stalling. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the show, he goes, well, we don't have any time to bring out John Michael Higgins, who plays me in the late shift, but you can meet him in the lobby after the show. Oh, I what don't remember that at all. Horrible. Wow. Horrible human being. Uh, and I, John Michael Higgins, he should be, he should kiss the ground John Michael Higgins walks on. Such a great actor. Was uh, there, I, I mean, I, I guess I kind of, you answered the question before I asked it, but you know, at the time when you were taking that role, did you were you concerned about backlash, uh, maybe towards you know from these guys to you? You know, they won't I, let you I on should their show. Have been, I, well, it's a good question, and I should have been, but I'm not that bright. You're you're smarter than I am, obviously. Um, we were, in fact, I was not allowed to be on the Tonight Show, but it did spurn uh, a friendship with Jay Leno, uh, who, although I couldn't be on the tonight show, uh, he was, he's always been there for me. Great guy. I produced an animated Christmas movie and he played one of the, he's the narrator of the movie. And I mean, shit, man, I got, I got a, I got a lot done uh, because of that movie. And what's weird is the, the guy, uh, remember, uh, the guy that, um, was portrayed the head of the head of NBC blocked that movie. So it could not ever be shown on any, they didn't talk about it on the news. They didn't Warren Littlefield was his name. Yeah, they didn't yeah. talk about it anywhere. But, but two years later, he was no longer the head of NBC and he had a TV comedy and he tried to put John Michael Higgins and me in this TV comedy. Which, so you can't, you never know what's going to, what's going to happen. He turned out to be a great guy. A great guy, but oh wow, you know, when the thing came out, he was not going to be publicly humiliated. But a nice man, Warren Littlefield. Wow, smart, weird. I'm they are like mobsters, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of that going around now, that's for sure. What if, what if when somebody was being a douche to you and they were like, let me tell you something, you, you know, you're 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 ruining this, and you were just like. Pew pew. <laughs> Trust me, there are a lot of people in high school I would love to have done that to. What would they say? I don't you know. So I have going back to your uh your collection, uh, which is yes. extensive and amazing. Clearly, you've amassed quite the uh the collection over the years. Well, what I are you looking at if you're looking at older videos, you know, I actually have had an epiphanal moment. Joe, do you have kids? I do. Do you have, do you have kids? Yep. Three. Good man. Good yeah. man. Seven-year-old twins start and, and 27-year-old. So, yeah. Oh, good. So you really, you've done it twice now. I'm exhausted. Um, yeah. You've done it twice. So once you've made people, as you and I have, we're creators of humans. Yes. Uh, once you create another human being, something happens and you figure stuff out. And I had a vast collection. So if people see a videotape of my collection online where there's multiple rooms and I'm with Tyler Maine or some other people, that was a collection I had up until uh, 12 years ago. Okay. And one day I'm driving home. Uh, well, my son was playing football. 
very good athlete, my son. I have a son and a daughter. And Buster's the younger one. He was 13, and I was getting ready, you know, when watching the game, and I get up, and I start pulling. And my wife goes at the time, where are you going? I said, oh, uh, there's some people coming in from Wisconsin to see the toy collection. And uh, so I got to go show them the toys. And my wife was like, oh, oh, okay, all right. And I'm driving home, and I start thinking, I'm leaving my son's 13th year to go celebrate my 13th year with complete strangers. Like the narcissism to me struck very deeply, very deeply. And, and like having my collection was great because I put my kids through Catholic school and I put them through college when they went. My son stopped at some point, but there was always something on the shelf that I, if I needed to, because the actor's life isn't always glory. If I needed to, there was always some way to make, make some money to pay the tuition or whatever. But I just felt like enough is enough. Mm -hmm. So I kept what I liked and I sold three fourths of it away because uh, it had become an anchor to me and it had taken my time away from my family. Uh, to some extent. Now you've you've got a different situation, Joe, because you you're you know you're creating an entertainment. You're you've got this thing. It's important that you're up to date on it. Um, so that's good. If I had a full time job where I talked about Captain Action, <laughs> um, then then I would have as much stuff. But I don't need as much stuff. And and once I got rid of the bulk of my stuff, my God, I was so free emotionally. And I've directed three, written and directed three movies since since that time. To mm -hmm. write and direct one movie in 12 years is a big deal. To do it three times, now we're starting to get ready to direct the fourth movie. I mean, That's it's pretty. a, you know, there's some good coming of this. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But but the collection, if you see it in its in those cases. All the masks, yeah. All the toys, the life-size figures. Oh, it's an. Uh, I, you know, as someone who collects things, and I come from a family of collectors because my parents used oh, to do you, the oh, same. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, like you know, my dad with old tools and and stuff like that, which I have since inherited, which is awesome. But oh. um, you know, my mother with antiques. My wife has her own collection of things. Um. You know, I think every collector strives to have what you have because you have things that are of major significance. Like I, I've, you know, whether it's what you have now or what you had in the past. I mean, you have like screen used items. You have memorabilia from, you know, shows that are no longer in existence. Now, I think collectors, you know, they make the stuff that people have that are more or less instant collectibles, you know really nice, fancy, you know, action figures and things like that. Right, yeah. And, you know, there are websites of people who just spend thousands of dollars on these really fancy, like the sideshow collectibles, you know, oh, stuff, which, which are is amazing, but they're amazing. You know, it, it will it like, will it be like the mask from, uh, you know, from like a twilight zone episode or like Bella yeah, Lugosi's like fat, cast yeah. that you have, which is just bananas, by the way. Um, I just had this this eclectic. That what I kept was what I liked the most. Mm -hmm. And sometimes someone will say, "I got a guy called me. He goes, I have something you can't say no to." And I was like, "Please, I don't collect anymore. I can say no. Where do you see? Where do you see how fast I can say no? I can say no so fast. What do you got?" He goes, "Life size wax Planet of the Apes, four of them." And I was like, "I'll take it. <laughs> you don't want to hear how much they are? Nope." I just want you to send her to my house and send me a bill. Because um, sometimes the stuff just comes and you can't, you can't say no. But then I have like, like, I mean, I knew Fred Quinn, and I, I have the only Herman Munster doll signed by Fred Quinn because I was the only one with balls big enough to bring it to him when we were doing a movie and go, Fred, would you sign my doll? He was like, "Where, what, where would you, why, why would you have this?" 
I said, oh, it's from my collection. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what it said? And then he told me everything it said. I'm Herman Monster. I like the Beatles. He, like, remembered all of it. That's amazing. Um, so there's stuff like that that's irreplaceable. I did that show. It was unfortunate because I didn't get to meet Blair. I did that show, uh, Collector's Call. And I just wanted to meet the actress because I just think she's dynamite. And uh, But it was right when COVID hit. And so we had to do it on Zoom like this. Mm-hmm. It was a bit exasperating. But I, I hated on that show. They kept saying, and it's worth how much. And I I should have said, I'll do the show, but you've got to cut in there one time. Me saying, I don't care what it's worth. I'm never selling it. doesn't matter what it's worth. I'm not I, selling it. I agree with that because I always have people, you know, as you know, we collect, I collect comics and so do my colleagues and friends and people who don't collect comics are always saying, wow, you must have, you know, you know, thousands of dollars. I'm like, yeah, thousands of dollars. That's what I spent over the years. But, you know, they're like, well, what are these worth? They must be worth a lot of money. I'm like, I don't intend on selling them. So it really doesn't matter how much they're worth. So. Yeah, I'm sure I have I have some comics that are worth far more than what I paid for them. But if I'm not going to sell them, it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. And I think it's important to say now, another thing that has great value and that never loses value is the shotgun that you have in your home uh, that you keep handy if anybody ever comes and tries to take your magazine. Exactly. And comic books. Yeah, that you, that's that's not always that never goes down in value. Um yeah, I, uh, I. It's just such a weird thing because I guess that's our. Isn't that sad? That's our society. Yeah. What's it worth? What's it worth? Wanna um, add, I wanted to jump to monsters real quick because I want to be mindful of your time, but um, so I just watched again with uh, my kids, and oh, the seven-year-old. Yes. Did they like Grandpa? They did. Yeah, because uh, I had to tell I had to tell them I was like, I want to make sure you know I, I watch and you know I, I kind of fresh in my head. And my daughter is like, "But daddy, you watched it already." I'm like, "But no, I'm talking to him later." She was like, "What?" And then my oldest, she was like, "Who's that?" I said, "Oh, do you remember a movie that we used to watch called Cody Banks?" And she was like, "What I- the fuck?" <laughs> Blew her yeah. mind. Cody Banks Two my twenty-seven year old, my seven year old. They're just like, what? So, yeah. The uh, uh, the other seven year old doesn't like movies. Oh, he does. He just wasn't in the room at the time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, he he watched it as well. But kid, that's the kid I want. I want that kid. Oh no, he he so, digs it. He digs it. it. Isn't it smart that I'm smart enough? <laughs> I look. They, the Matlock fans are dying. I bring in, I bring in the Cody Banks fans. Now they're getting a little old. The Quince fans are a little older than Cody Banks fans. Yep. And now, see, the great thing that Rob gave us with the Munsters is he gave us a family movie. And I'm telling you, kids love that movie. Adults love that movie. The only people that don't love that movie are idiots. No, I didn't mean that. Um, the only people that don't first. love the movie are curmudgeons because there's nothing in the movie that you wouldn't <clears> like. Maybe you think it's too colorful or whatever, but it's a monsters movie for today's audience. And uh, I'll be honest with you, when I first heard it, I'm like, oh, damn, you know, like there's so many remakes, and you know, I was, uh, I love the the series, but then I was like, I started hearing things about it, and you know, to be quite honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of time. Aside from watching kids shows, it, it seems nowadays. But I was like, guys, we let's watch, please. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And oh, thank you so much. I, I genuinely mean that. And um, it was it was fun because I didn't. I honestly I didn't know what to expect going into it. I didn't know it was like there were elements of it, like you know it seems like it takes place out of time. You know, it has elements. You're very smart. Yes. You know, you all notice kinds that. of peer- Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I mean, no, it's purposely out of time. That's Rob's genius. That's yeah. like, look, you could watch House of a Thousand Corpses and think, is this the 70s or is this the 90s? Uh, 
but that's kind of a smart way to make a movie. Yeah, purposely, because it's not modern, but we're in cars, but then there's telephones, and then there's... Uh, like the news comes TV, on, they're in the TV. 70s outfits or something, right. but like, you know, like um, uh, Count Orlock is like disco dancing. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. First of all, the fact that Count Orlock was in it, I was like, right. wow, these are deep cuts. The fact that they're cramming and, all right. these. And, and, you know, and so Uncle cool. Gilbert and and Lester and Zombo. And the fact, like, Grandpa sitting there, he's watching Abbott and Costello. Yes. Now, I want to tell you something. I didn't know what he was going to put on the TV. And it was so weird that the week before I went to see the movie the first time that he showed it to me, I just watched Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So I had just seen it for no reason. I put it on. I was like, geez, Rob, I just watched this four days ago. Crazy. Uh, that was one of my, and so I'm watching that and that came on and it was, it was crazy because one of the earliest memories I have with my dad is sitting on his lap watching Abbott and Costello. And it was, you know, it was all those like crossover Abbott and Costello episodes that just, you know, would stick in my head. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I was like, all right, I'm sold. And I thought, so I was waiting for someone to like die bloody, really bloody. Since it was Rob Zombie, it's not going to happen in this. And I just didn't know why. People didn't like you still if you go on right now and you type in somebody has a picture of like, you know, this, this will be a picture. Yeah. And the next thing someone will say, gosh, I love that movie. And the next thing someone writes is the movie was crap. And I made a whole video. I welcome you to look at it. You could just look down my my uh, social media couple, maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. We talked about that and where I realized that we were we were literally letting those bums at Facebook divide us because you I can tell you 50 percent of the people didn't hate the monsters. Two percent of the people hated the monsters. But the way they roll their comments in, Mm -hmm. you would think like I said, how come if you say you like something, it says, you know, we've chosen the most relevant comments. The next comment is I hated it. Because they're trying to cause derision mm-hmm. in our country. You, the father of two seven-year-olds, you more than anybody. My kids are already ruined. They're brats. But you have these beautiful little kids, and you got to remind them that everything they see is a lie. And the only one they can trust is you and mom and their older sister. And that's, that's it. That's what we're working on, actually. <laughs> we actually had a very similar conversation. Yeah, no, it's- Seriously. It's a full-time job because they go to school and you could be the most non-political loving family and they go to school and some idiot teacher says something to them that sticks and they're like, well, the teacher said it. And it's like, well, the teacher's an idiot and I'm your parent and I'm the one who tells you. All you have to do is, you don't have to believe what I believe I used to say to my kids, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be followers into somebody else's crap. You know, anyway. No, I, we're, I agree. We're, but but isn't it funny that those of us we grew up, we grew up with this, and now we're in charge of making sure that the other kid can just enjoy this like you and I did. Mm-hmm. You played with your Transformers or your Superman doll, and you didn't care anything about who the last thing you cared about was who the president was or the environment or any of this other stuff, which no child or sexuality, no child in America, in the world should have to worry about that stuff. They should just be able to be kids who love life. That's all they got to be concerned about. Don't worry about it. I agree. Um, So, one last thing before we go, and I know you said you. Yes, were I'm sorry, did I part- talk too much? Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, Absolutely, he I talked I, way too much. No, I would. I think I could talk to you for another hour or so, um, but I won't because I know you have stuff going on. Um, so I know you know you. And sold- if you have relevant, ask me anything. It doesn't. Matter. Um, 
Yeah, well, I have I have my questions. I'll I'll stick to that for now. Um, so I know you know you, you've kind of parted ways with a good portion of your collection, and I have also gotten to a point where I'm like, I need to stop because I have more important things I need to focus on. Um, but is there one thing? And I know you mentioned that you per, you know you had the Planet of the Apes that you kind of did not say no to. But is there one thing that you you have in the back of your head that I you think that I want to get my hands on that at some point in my life because oh, yeah, still of X Y? Um, I don't think so. No, I think if I think it'll find me if it wants me, it'll it'll find me. Okay. Um, there's nothing I'm so this so let's talk about this a second. This is Captain Action, mm-hmm. and uh, this is a mint mint costume re-sewn into a. Um, the miracle of modern science is we can make a reproduction box. Mm-hmm. Now, this in a box would be a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. Oddly, one found me the other day. I just turned on eBay and there was one for a couple hundred dollars. And I thought, oh, that one's mine because it's mine. So I have all these like this. Now, I'm not going to spend $4,000, five, $6,000. To have all these mint, I not because I have them all in the repro box. So maybe in the old days there was that. I have every piece of Captain Action that that was known to me. There was a raft, like this thing, the Captain Action raft. Mm. Well, I don't. We never saw it. I don't need it. It wasn't anything I had as a kid. It wasn't anything we talked about as a kid. Uh, so I don't need it. So I don't. I don't really think so. I think there's the stuff has a way of. Look, if we're talking collector to collector to collector, the stuff has a way of finding you. And when I sold uh, stuff, I had hundreds and hundreds of Don Post masks, and uh, it was never important to me to be the biggest collector. It was only important to me to have a nice collection and then to share yeah. it. Because that's what Forey Ackerman did, and that's what Bob Burns did. And they were very good mentors to me in how to be this guy. But, you know, I had something that Forey Ackerman didn't have, and Bob Burns didn't have, and Fern Langdon didn't have, and Basil Gogos didn't have. I had kids. None of them had kids. So the creators of all this stuff we loved didn't have any responsibility beyond their own selves. But once you have the kids, you know, man, it's a whole nother thing. So what I would say to a collector out there, somebody watching this, you know, only ever collect for what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. You've heard that before. Yeah. Don't ever collect for value. Cause because they're they've been they they figured that out in 19 what when I don't think it was Star Wars first, when Star Trek put out those playtime toys. In the 1980s for Next Generation, someone can correct me here. I think that was the first time they started numbering your toy. And people were like trying to get number 200. But it's the numbers matter or they were just just arbitrary. I don't I don't I don't know. But somebody was smart enough to go, let's number them. That'll make them collectible. Well, then younger people don't realize we all live through the death of Superman and you could buy the comic sealed mint and you could buy this version and that version and people, you've got one there. I'll bet it's right here, right behind me. Right. A, so people oh, went out. Yeah. This is a reissue. That I had oh, that's a reissue. Of uh, the recent 30th anniversary uh, of uh, with the, one of the, uh, the artists who signed it, Jerry Ordway. <laughs> So that's 30 years ago already, the death of Superman? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that blows my mind. So so we lived through all of it, and everybody went out and bought those. Not the they bought the original ones, and they were convinced they were millionaires. We're gonna retire on that. But you gotta take the reason these are four thousand dollars is wait, I actually have pictures that I, I I a friend sent me. And I, I got them to send to my brother, and I haven't sent them yet. Oh, gosh, gosh, this is too good to be true. You guys, like, these are the pictures you wait your whole life for. The reason uh, – is this going to be big enough? 
The reason that that's four thousand dollars is because in nineteen sixty nine, that's what some guy was doing to all of them. Look, they're all on the floor and opened, and and the dad is the dad. And by the way, that would have been my dad sitting there Christmas morning without a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> but that's this guy's absolutely from Pennsylvania. I can yeah. tell you that right now. Um, but they're only they only have value because people ripped them open. So yeah. buy nothing that no one's going to rip open. Find old stuff that people rip open. That's what has value. I I absolutely like, agree. I, I mean, the stuff that's out now, people just case in point, Funko Pops. I went through. I will say I had a few months there where I bought a fair amount of those, and now I'm at a point I'm like I got to get rid of all these because they're just taking up space. At no point will these ever become anything more than just big-headed figures. They will not be worth anything because there's so many of them that are created. They're cute to look at, but that's that's all there is. That's all there is. Yeah, I mean, every brand or IP has a pop for it. Except Grandpa Monster Daniel Robot. Now, when they do the count, maybe I'll it's be on time. their side. Give but it until we do the count, um, I I would I would welcome it. But there's there, there's a sameness to all of it. We all wonder, like, this is so great to have. Is this is simple? And these all the cards were different. So some were orange, some were purple, some were red, some were blue. And when we were kids, you would see those all in a row. And also, when you were kids, it's hard to determine here but this is no this is a good version of showing it when you were a kid this was as big as half your body yeah those are huge they were huge when you were a kid this was like this was like going over picking up the tv carrying it around it's like mom um but it's simple and it jumps at you the shelf bounce they call that it jumps at you and it didn't require 700 things there. It only required to draw your eye to the thing. And even the sculpture of the mask, you know, these were, um, I don't I don't think Kirby did any of the drawings, but oh, um, it's a sin that in this moment I can't remember. But it was a famous guy who did all the all the art drawings. It's well, that looks like the, that, the, uh, the Captain America looks like it was pulled from a Jack Kirby cover. It did, but sure. I think it was somebody, was somebody else was, Mocking up the mocking, okay. Somebody else had to come in and redo them. Okay. And it's a famous guy, and every Captain Action guy knows it. And I'm a, a schnook that I don't. Um, I love that I had these pictures when you see other kids at Christmas morning, like and they got everything, you know. It's just great. Um, but that was I don't know, the Funko Pops are just they're like beanie babies. It's all the same. Yeah. When my kids were young, like your kids, that was our thing. We would go to the Disney store. It was a huge deal. Or Disneyland, where we went mm-hmm. all the time. And they got to pick. Each of them got one of those things. But, oh, there's a set of three. Oh, and then the, my, my ex-wife, she would one. And then I'd buy a set. Oh, these. Here they are in spacesuits. Well, you know what we did with those Beanie Babies? Um, my, my brother-in-law was in Iraq serving this country. And one day I had this epiphany that they were valueless to us. But imagine what they would mean to a little kid in Iraq who lives in a war zone. Yeah. So we, you could get, you know, in the government, you could take these boxes that whatever the size was, and you could put 100 pounds in it and it cost something. We filled so many of those boxes and we sent them to my brother-in-law in Iraq and he gave them all away to kids in Iraq. Oh, oh that's that's amazing. Get a little emotional. What a instead of throwing them out, which is what, what they you know, the toy could still be instead of being collected, it was held and loved and played with. Oh, it's people don't do that now. You know, <laughs> people don't do that now with stuff. Yeah. So like the toy actually served its purpose. Uh, its purpose. But I, you know, what's great about this guy is somebody did play with him for many years. And then, you know, he was probably, he went to Vietnam or he 
you know, discovered girls. And then his mom put him in a box. And then one day his mom died and the box went to the, you know, somewhere and someone found it. And now I have it. It's in good condition too. All my, yeah, he's very, well, with the captain action, what's great is when they, uh, they're, they're tight. Like this is, this arm is a little loose. His legs are very tight, which means he wasn't played with a lot. Because he was a captain actually was a man of a thousand and one positions. That's what it's on the box. So this is what you know he was always like. <laughs> Multiple points of articulation. That's how you play with a toy. Exactly. Yeah. Where can people find that? That's what I would love to know. They can find it on Facebook if they come to DanielRoebuck.com. This is the kind of stuff that so I've been going to these conventions, Joe, and I, I didn't want to just be there. I wanted to have stuff that people would want. So this was designed so it could be autographed. Um, oh, okay. And then I, you know, there were statues, but I sent five to this great painter and he painted them for me. Uh, and they're just so silly. Oh, and, and I would so, totally get that. Yeah. Find me on Facebook. But Joe, now we're we're talking. It's now it's awkward me taking money. Oh. It's fine. Um, we'll, <laughs> figure <mind. laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, like so, and then these you can find. Uh, I have these two where you can go to like a muck time toys, and um, you've seen maybe uh, that they've showed what the other NECA figures look like. Yeah, and I've actually seen the box art. And um, I was asked not to put my unveiling out yet until things come. The okay. NECA toys are. That's cool. You can see my unboxing of this on social media. Okay. This is the first time that I've been in, I was a, a nodder for uh, an official nodder for Lost. Uh, but to be now, I want you to think of the absurdity. I've got you know shelves and shelves of universal monsters, got shelves and shelves of the monsters, universal monsters. <laughs> I, I, I should, I should be a little more erudite, I think, but I can't really fake it. I'm just thrilled about it. That's awesome. So, before we go. I know you, yes, you're obviously, you're doing, you're getting ready for uh, Monsters in London, you said. Um, yeah, Monsters, so we're doing a lot of promotion, promotion of Monsters in London these next few days. What can we look forward to from you that may be coming out that you can actually talk about? Because I know you probably yes, have of a course, bunch of Yes, of course, of course. Well, I invite people, look, I, I work for the man whenever I can because the man pays my bills. But when I, I'm not working for the man, I'm running a not-for-profit with my my wife and my friends called A Channel of Peace. Okay. And people go to achannelofpeace.org. Okay. And they can see we've been making faith-based family movies. By the way, faith-based, not Jesus. They're movies that, honestly, I should just say they're family movies. They're movies you'll be able to watch with a seven-year-old and the 27-year-old, because the real key is how do we entertain people? I don't need to preach to anybody. They can go to church. I'm not a preacher. I'm a filmmaker. So I make an entertaining movie, and the movie, when you watch it, you go, gee, that guy solved his problem. How did he do it? Oh, he used faith in a higher power to uh, do the right thing. So you can see that, that I have so many movies coming out. Oh, my gosh. Um probably seven or 10 or 12. Uh, I work a lot. Thank God. Uh, And uh, genre specific. um, There's a great uh, sci-fi movie called colonials coming out. Uh, I wish I could say if I just wish I had to phrase this correctly. If only you had seen Greece Tritus in the trailer for Jedi Survivor. Oh. I would be able to say whether he was in it or not. Oh, oh right. But it seems weird that 
one of the stars of the original game wouldn't be around, but yeah. I, I don't know what to say about it. Uh, Fair enough. But Joe, God is good. I am busy. I am always busy. We're starting a new movie called Tuesday's Flu, which I'm writing. Excuse me, not writing. Pardon me. Written by the Perry Brothers. I'm not writing it. Uh, directing, producing, starring in. And then we'll continue to make. We've got a movie coming out in, in the spring called Lucky Louie, which I wrote and directed with my daughter. Okay. And can I tell you what it's about? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That one's that was about an old retired cop who can't solve a bank robbery that happened in 1971. It's been bugging him since the 70s. So he finally teams up with his Bible study, and the Bible study is four ex-cons that he had arrested and rehabilitated. And together, they decide they're going to try to figure out the bank robbery. Then the, the old cop gets sick, goes in the hospital, and my, my character says, why don't we just rob the bank again? And then we'll know where the money went. Because we're all criminals. So uh, it's great how we do that. It turns into a turkey trot like the whole town is in on the bank robbery, cheering them on so they can try to solve the question. So that's in the fall. And then in the spring. uh, I'm sorry, that's in the spring. In the fall, uh, the Hail Mary. And the Hail Mary is about a, a nun who finds a guy who's in desperate need of redemption. And so she cons him into creating a football team for her all-boys Catholic school so that uh, he will be led to it. Uh, and that, that I think, is uh, – that might be the best thing I've ever done in my life. I think it's it speaks very well of our need for forgiveness and tolerance. Uh, redemption is possible for everybody, mm-hmm. everybody. And, uh, you know, no matter how far down you go, you could always come back. So that's what that's about. That sounds great. I like, I love the message. There we go. Uh, I just want to close and, uh, thank you so much for your time because you've been just an absolute pleasure to talk to. And, uh, I will say that I was, I've never interviewed someone who is a, you know, in in TV or film, uh, a star of any kind. Uh, so I was very nervous and uh, it was just a pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much. Well, let's do it again. We'll have. Uh... And we're back. How cool is Daniel Roebuck? It was great talking to someone who's been in the business of show, as they say, for so long. And he's so humble and just interesting and down to earth. He has an amazing horror collection. Uh, as you saw, he has a great um action figure collection as well um if you get a chance google daniel roebuck and uh, horror collection because you'll see pictures of his extensive collection unfortunately as he said he had to sell off a good portion of it just because you know he had to move on with his life uh but that being said he was a great person to talk to also get a chance check out his nonprofit website a channel of peace.com um, and you know check out the content there yeah, between him and uh, Bill Leff, quite a collection of toys and uh, things that these guys have. And uh, Daniel, like you said, such a nice guy to take the time to talk to us. He's a very busy man. Um, we'd love to have him back on. And uh, again, Joe, fantastic job. Thank you. Yeah, we're really expanding our horizons here uh, from comic artists and, and writers to, um, you know, those involved in our childhood cartoons to now actors who knows, maybe directors, media moguls, you know, the sky's the limit here. So uh, again, I will echo, great job, Joe. Um, Daniel Roebuck was a fantastic guest. We'd love to have him on again um, and other of his, um, you know, acting brethren and sisterhood. So um, hopefully we'll get um, more folks on the show. But we wanted to end this episode as we do sometimes with a review reading from Apple Podcasts. This was a five-star review from back in November from a person named Klaus's cousin. Headline is, now this is a podcast I can get behind. Very happy to have discovered this great podcast. Much like Word Balloon, these are great one-on-one interviews with industry professionals. So much more entertaining and interesting than a majority of podcasts. 
where it's just basically some fans sitting around giving their trivial two cents opinions. This is great stuff. Please keep it going. Highly recommended for any true comic book fan. Well, thank you, Klaus's cousin. Maybe you can get Klaus himself to write a review. We would be appreciative. Thank you for listening. Please be like Klaus's cousin and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever. And we will see you next time. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S dot com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.